Amen. He's risen. Indeed. Thanks. Be seated. Well, Easter, we uh, are grateful, I think, aren't we, as a community that there is no stone. How many enjoyed that beautiful day yesterday? Amen. And then to have this beautiful day again today, it will be, it is beautiful. Look at the sun's out. I, last time I looked, it was raining. So praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Open our hearts. This is the day of celebration. I just pray in this time we might move into greater celebration as we hear your word. Speak to, to our hearts, my heart. In Christ's name, amen. The year was 1913, and Cecilia Weiss died. The last word she said to her son, forgive. That final moment made a considerable impression on Cecilia's son. His name was Harry Weiss. Harry began to visit spiritualists and mediums in attempts to receive confirmation that his mother was still out there somewhere beyond the veil. But the more seances he attended, the more Harry began to believe that all these mediums were frauds taking advantages of of the vulnerable. None of them repeated his mother's last word. That's what he was looking for. And this proved to him it was all a sham. They were a bunch of frauds. And so for the rest of his life, he used his talents as an illusionist to reveal the sneaky tricks used by these unscrupulous spiritualists and these mediums that would try to dupe people into giving out their cash. And as he did this, he gained a following of people and and practically single-handedly brought down what was called a spiritualist movement. He became known first as Harry Handcuff Hundini. He challenged police forces, um, especially in Europe, to keep him locked up. I'm not sure why Europe was the first place to go, but anyway, maybe you've seen uh, the uh, investigator Clouseau. Um, anyway, <clears throat> that dates me and you who laughed. Soon he extended his repertoire to include things like chains and Ropes slung from skyscrapers and straitjackets that were placed with him underwater. And he recognized and became recognized as the greatest escapist in Houdini thrilled audiences throughout the world. And about a year before he died in 1926, Houdini gave his wife, Bess, a secret code. He wanted her to have this secret code, should there be life on the other side, he would seek to pull off the greatest escape ever done. And this code, which only she knew, would be proof. And so, because Harry hated the charlatans and these mediums and seances, he felt this would be foolproof. And if anyone could escape the grip of death, since he escaped so many other things, surely Houdini would. And so on October 31st, Houdini died in 1926. And for the next year, Bess would lock herself into a dark room and each Sunday afternoon, she'd gaze upon a portrait of her late husband and wait for a sign. She was looking for the code. A year went on and her attempts didn't bring forth any coded message, so she eventually decided to 
give a $10,000 reward to any medium who could bring her the coded message. And every Halloween, on the anniversary of Houdini's death, groups around the country gathered together by candlelight in an attempt to summon the great escapist from beyond the grave. And each and every time Houdini fails to show his ghostly face, the candles are blown out and the seance is proclaimed unsuccessful. Well, what I think is interesting when we look at this message today, we've been looking at the signs, the last sign, the seventh sign is what Jesus does, is he doesn't give a code, he actually raises a man, Lazarus, from the dead. And that happens in the first, like, 12 chapters, which is called the book of signs. These signs are given, they're significant, you'll see all kinds of things, John is this master at being able, tucking in little hints of what's happening specifically hints that tie back to the Old Testament and the faith and things that they would understand, especially as Jews reading this. And so for the first 12 chapters, he lays out these seven signs, ending with the one on Lazarus. And then he takes from chapter 13 to chapter 20, and he concludes with chapter 21. The first part of chapter 1 is an intro, the last part's a kind of conclusion, but he takes the next 13 to 20, the next about seven chapters, and he records one significant event. The passion through the suffering and death and then the resurrection of Jesus. And you got to ask yourself, why does he do this? I mean, people all the time, back to Houdini and even beyond that, have said, is there something beyond the veil? Is there something we can know? Well, what I want to do is bring you through chapter 11, which is long, 50 some odd verses, and then through chapter 20 which is somewhat long, and we'll be getting out about noon. That other service will join us now. I want to give you four scenes that kind of, we're going to walk through these scenes, and I hope go through them, and, and you can maybe place yourself in one of these scenes along the way. And I'm going to use just four words, and the words are wait, the word weeping. You come to a scene, and it's the word wow, and then all of a sudden you come to the end, and it's the word what? Yeah. Wait, weeping, wow, what? In each of these scenes, you get to see a picture of who Jesus really is. And he, in a sense, magnifies who God really is. And all this magnifies how much he loves you. How much he loves you. So John 11, verses 1 through 6, begins and it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And the word sick here is not that he's got a cold and maybe a runny nose. It's sick to the point of he's going to die unless you come immediately. You know you're the great healer. We're expecting because you love Lazarus so much and you love Martha and you love Mary so much that you're going to get right there. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, I'm not sure exactly all that Jesus knew, but he did know that the spirit of God said to him, a word into his heart. You need to pay attention to it. God loves you so much that he speaks to your heart. He was given a word, and that word he kind of knew that, no, this isn't, I don't, I don't need to worry about descending in death. So now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. You kind of go, what? 
You ever had those times in your life where you're just really ready, you're pressing into something, something's going to happen, and all of a sudden God puts you on hold? He kind of pushes the pause button? You had that experience in your life where, you know, you're, you're thinking, this isn't the way that I would picture it, not according to my timing, and all of a sudden he says, wait. He says, wait. Have I told you that I'm a, a grandparent and have a grandson? <laughs> I know some of you are probably saying, no way, you're just way too young for that. Well, I love watching my daughter teach my grandson wit how to wait. Because I don't have to do this stuff any longer. I just, you know, I'm grandpa. You just pure fun. Yeah. Oh, you want this? Sure. <laughs> Check that line. He's grabbing candy bar. Sure. Well, not my daughter. My daughter will, look, will lovingly look in his eyes. And he'll say, can you wait? Which is like... You know, with my dog sit for like three seconds. And she'll look in his eyes and can you wait, please, Whitaker? And you, that'll go on for a little bit. And what I don't think Whitaker really understands is that how much his parents love him and that they would provide anything for him. They would die for him. They love him so much. But it's really hard to wait. It's really hard for you sometimes to wait, right? I can get so impatient and, and God's saying, it's not going to be this way. It's going to work out better than you can imagine. Yet I'm calling you just to hold. I'm, I'm, I'm putting you on pause and I'm asking you to trust me right now. And, and I really believe that the spirit of God might be saying that to you right now. There's some of you at God in this scene right now in your life, you're, you're, you're having to wait. You don't understand it. And at times, Jesus says those frightful words, just wait. In your waiting is an opportunity to see and believe. Jesus will reveal himself to you at just the right time. And he gives you these words. It's the code. It's the secret code that Houdini didn't really understand. It's the code trust. 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 When the circumstances are pressing in and when things aren't going the way you want it and you're, you're wondering and you're on pause and you're waiting, here is a great opportunity for you just to trust, to stretch that muscle of faith and begin to say, God, begin to teach me in this moment because there may be another moment where I'm going to even have to wait longer, but I'm going to trust that you would, you would die to provide for me. Well, in John eleven seven, <clears throat> just back to the story, John talks to, uh, tells us that after two days had passed, Jesus then on the third day, and again, these third days are really significant, that John, if you were here, some of the other messages you'd understand, but Jesus said to his disciples, come, it's time to go to Bethany. You know, you have to understand that with the disciples, they were just fine with this. They were thinking to themselves, we don't want to go to Jerusalem anyway. In the text, it says Jesus had already been Possibly it was in the, it was in the process of being stoned. There were actually wanted posters put up throughout Jerusalem and all, all the villages around saying, if you see this Jesus guy, we want to arrest him. So they have no desire really to go in. They're excited and, and they go, this is great. But then Jesus says, no, let's go see Lazarus. And now they're afraid. They tell me, why are we doing this? And 
aren't you afraid of what's going to happen? And Jesus says something like, you know, when you walk in the daylight, you won't stumble. He's he's making this uh, this allusion to the fact that when you walk by the Spirit of God, when God gives you a word, like he had a word in his heart, you just keep walking because now you're walking the light of his presence and his word. And you will not fall. God will complete what he said to you. And so they go a bit further and he explains the delay. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. And, and now they're going, this is great because they're still afraid. Let him sleep. If he sleeps, he'll get better. No need for us to go after all now, right, Jesus? And they're still walking. And Jesus goes, oh, you guys, I, I wasn't speaking about sleep. I'm actually speaking about death. So John tells us. So Jesus corrects him and says it plainly. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. In essence... I'm glad you had to wait so that you might truly believe and get a picture of just how much authority and power I have and how much I love you. Right now, I'm just going to ask somebody to just say, God, I hear you speaking to my heart. I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust. So that's, I, for some of you, this will be the only part of the message that you're going to hear. Well, then they continue to walk on and Jesus is getting close to the village. And, and when he comes to the village, you can already, before you're even getting to the village, it's just filled with despair. Martha hears he's coming, runs out to meet him at the edge of where Bethany is. And, and as she runs out to him, she says in this tone with weeping, if only, if only you had been here, why did you wait? But yet, I know God will give you whatever you ask, but now it's too late. And Jesus responds. He doesn't rebuke her. I love this about Jesus. I'm far more of a person who rebukes and gives guilt, and I think we probably all kind of are more towards the judgment side of things, right? And not Jesus. He just kind of looks at her without a, 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 a rebuke and with a word of hope says, your brother will rise again. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I know that someday in the future he'll rise again. I, I, I know this doctrine. And Jesus looks Martha in the eyes and gives her one of the greatest claims ever. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he looks at her and says, do you believe this? This is the words of a crazy man, right? Who says this? You lock him up. But it's Jesus. He kind of says, do you trust me? Do you believe me? Do you believe that in the midst of your weeping and your concern, <clears throat> that I'm concerned, that I really love you? And she says, Martha goes, yeah, I believe you're God's anointed one. She's still not quite getting it. So she runs back to Mary. Mary's in the house. Jesus begins to take a few more steps. Mary runs out to see Jesus, still outside of the house. The people that are with her think she's running to the tomb, but she's really running to Jesus. They follow her. And weeping, Mary falls at his feet. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. And pick up in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And they started on their way and it says, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And then some made this little comment, but some of them said... Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, if he had just gotten here earlier, kept this man alive, right? And here's the scene. They've moved from waiting to weeping. 
And they're weeping. Everybody's weeping. Seeing Mary weeping and then seeing all her friends weeping. And we're told, it says in in John, that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. And he then asked, where's Lazarus? They go to show him, but on his way. John records two words. I think two words are the most powerful words in this whole gospel. Jesus wept. Just two words. Two words that express the heart of God in the face of tragedy. But if you look at Jesus, it's just amazing. You will see the heart of God. You'll actually see who God really is. You'll see how much your sorrow and suffering touches his heart. You think you're all alone. You think you're, you know, you think the person that you're even praying for, you're just, you're trying to get God, you're coaxing him into, come on, look at the situation, God. And, and God all the time sees it. Because you see the heart of God in Jesus. Where he sees sin, his, his heart just is in anguish because he knows the mess it will make and he knows the mess it has made. You see the heart of God when you see sorrow, when you see death, where there's injustice, where there's oppression, where there's suffering, wherever the human heart fails to take in the account, the reality and presence of God, God just weeps. And so our friends are weeping. Jesus is overcome with emotion. He says, moved and troubled in his spirit. And a mixture of anger at how sin has blinded and distorted the understanding of God's love for their situation. They can't even see it. There's also a mixture of sadness as he sees the broken, helpless heart standing before him. He sees the pain and confusion, their limited understanding. He knows in his heart what's really like. I mean, Jesus lived in heaven. So Jesus lived in a place where there was no sin, there was no sorrow, there was no sickness. He lived in a place where there was no suffering. He lived in a place where life was forever and life just infused things. And then he comes down and we realize that he wants us to understand that there's nothing too difficult for God, no matter what you face, no matter what you see. But at the same time, here's what's amazing. He, it's not that God's not touched by your perspective. He is so touched by your pain. He understands the confusion. Some of you are in that scene today. And in your heart, you are actually weeping like Jesus for others. And you're just saying, oh God, I just feel their pain. I I understand because I've gone through something similar and I'm just praying, would you intervene? Would you work in some way? Would you help them understand in the midst of this time? And I'd just love for you to do this. I'd love for you just to pray right now. Just say a prayer in your heart for that person. In the midst of the celebration of life and goodness and all the joy, allow your heart to weep for a second. Just Allow your heart to weep as you pray to Jesus that he would bring a resurrection of hope in their life or in their marriage or it could be with a wayward child. It could be there's some other difficulties, a tough work environment. They've lost their job. They're facing illness. Whatever it is, just quietly just say, God, just in your heart, just say their name and say, I know you weep for this and I know that you know what you need to do in this. And for some of you right now, In your very situation, God is weeping. And you just need to take it in. He loves you. He loves you. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I know there's some that are here and you are facing some real difficult times. And God is just saying, wait. And in this, he's weeping. And yet God won't leave you alone. He will come through for you. 
I remember sometimes like when I was a, a dad and I had my daughter and, uh, and she'd wake up in the middle of the night and, and she'd be hungry and, and at that time we were feeding her some formula. So I would, um, I, I think it felt like I did it every night. No, I'm just kidding, Grace. <laughs> Probably once a month, you know, I'd get, <clears throat> I'd get up and I'd take my little one and, 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 and we'd be crying like, ah, this, I mean, this isn't weeping, this is gnashing and, you know, teeth and wailing. And I'd grab her and I'd hold her and she'd be moving and I would take a bottle and some formula and mix it up and shake it up and that baby's wailing and I would turn the, the microwave on, praise God for microwaves, on just the right temperature and it would do it and then I would check it. But the whole time she's just crying like crazy, she's weeping like crazy, she can't wait, her experience is just killing her and I just want to take her and go, look, I'm preparing something great. God weeps for you, but in his heart, like Jesus, he knows something great's coming. Because the third scene is wow. It's wow. Lazarus, can you imagine it? He's four days in the grave. He has had the best nap ever. And Jesus calls and he comes, you may be like Lazarus, you may be like Mary and Martha and all the people, and you're just going, wow. You've had a front row seat lately to the work of God. You look at your life and you go, this is incredible. I can't believe what God has done and how he's blessed me in this way. And I'm here and I can't help but celebrate. Every one of these songs match my heart 100%. So after weeping in their pain and their limited understanding of God's power, Jesus stands before the tomb of Lazarus. They bring him to the tomb. Lazarus is dead. We're told how many days is he dead? Four. Good, you listen. Four days. Four days was a guarantee. Three days was you're sure the person's dead. You know, the saved by the bell, you know, they put a little bell and if the person would wake, they'd be conscious when in, in days gone past. They, they didn't know whether a person was fully dead. Well, here they knew. In three days, he's dead, so it's the fourth day. This guy's a goner, and Jesus is standing outside the tomb. And he says, open it. Now, I'm guessing the tomb's about this far away. He says, open it. And Martha, Mary, and the rest go, no, it's going to stink. It's been hot. The summer, mid-eastern sun is cooking everything. We don't want to do that. It will be noxious. And she says, open it. So they take and they, they roll away that stone because they were wealthy. They probably had one of those cave stones. And it's cooler in some ways in there, but four days. <clears throat> And what I think is interesting is Jesus stands outside here and just says, Hey, Lazarus, uh, get up. Now, don't you wish, you know, because I mean, this guy's been dead four days. He actually gets up. Don't you wish, parents, you could do that with your kids? <laughs> with a voice of authority. Hey, it's time to get up. Lazarus walks out. He's got strips of cloth all around him. And he, you know, he's kind of making his way out. It's like your kid in their pajamas like... But I don't think he's like this. He's like, what happened? And they're all going, wow. You know what's really interesting? The Bible talks about death as sleep. If you read in the New Testament and you look at how Jesus calls it, he always calls it sleep. Because for God, nothing is too difficult for God. God can take what we think is such a grip and it's so hard and it's so tough. He can just like, hey, um, hey, Kevin, time to get up. 
We don't need to fear death. And so he stands there and he calls and they're all going, wow. Who would have ever thought we would experience such an incredible blessing? Some of you are standing in that place in the scene. You're going, who would have ever imagined I would be where I am today, blessed, filled with joy, ever grateful for the experience I have and how God has blessed me? And I just want to tell you this. Enjoy it. Some of you feel guilty for it. Some of you feel like, yeah, you know what? Uh, it's hard. I'm not going to take this one because if I take this in, there'll be a fall sooner. No. Yeah, you'll, life has its ups and downs. For sure it does. But man, when you're in an up, what? just enjoy it. Thank God for it. Don't, don't go, boy, look how I got myself up here. Yeah, you will definitely fall. But if God's moving and he's worked and you've seen him work, just enjoy it. If you've received encouragement, encourage someone else. Share the joy. If someone has told you how grateful they are for you, would you make sure you turn around and just tell someone else this week how grateful you are for their part in your life? God has blessed some of you with health. Enjoy it. Use your vigorous body to do things for God. Serve others. Some of you have experienced wealth beyond what you ever thought you would experience. And I just tell you, enjoy it and yet share it. Look for organizations that are seeking to really build the kingdom of God and doing good and give it away. If you know, if you're really struggling to find one, I can share one with you. It's supposed to be a joke. Okay. And here's the final scene. What? And I put this as a question mark in an exclamation because you may be thinking, what? There's more? And there is. The first seven ends with Lazarus being resurrected. Now we move from the raising of Lazarus to this whole period of seven chapters where at this point we're told it goes from being wanted posters of a guy they want to arrest where you read in, in John, now it's dead or alive posters. At one point, they're meeting together and Caiaphas and the others said, so from this day on, they plotted to take his life. He's betrayed, he's arrested, he's put in trial, he's put to death. And he's crucified through the cruelest death devised by mankind, a death that was reserved for the most hardened of criminals. And yet on the morning of the third day, now I want you to note, here's a little, there's little things where, where John will kind of go, wink, wink. Here's what he says. In chapter 20, verse 1, the first day of the week, on the first day, it starts out the first day of the week. That's a little sign right there. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, <clears throat> Mary comes up and they run to the tomb and she's there on the first day of the week. She looks and the stone has been removed. She's just going, what? The, Peter and John run behind her and they're going, what? They look in, they see, they have a message, they run out, they just leave her and she's standing there and we're told in verse 11, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus had, his body had been and one at the head and one at the foot. And the angels are asking why? They're, they're saying, why are you crying? And, and I think they're going, what? What's with these humans? 
Jesus told him a whole lot of times the code. He said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this time of suffering and I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised again. But I think in their mind, they probably kept thinking parabolically, yeah, it's his political kingdom. It's going to look like it's going to take a turn, but he's going to come out of it. Rise out of the ashes like the phoenix. <clears throat> They're going, what? And Mary simply says, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus, which is an interesting thing. John, stay with me here. Woman, he said, why are you crying? What? Says Jesus. Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And at this, she recognized that before her stood Jesus. Now here's what I want to share with you. Here's what's so significant about this. There have been seven signs. We've been looking at them. There's seven signs in John in those first chapters. He turns one, water to wine. Two, the official son healed. Three, there's a healing at a pool. <clears throat> Four, there's a feeding of 5,000. Five, he walks on water. Six, a blind man is healed. At a certain point, he stops naming the number of signs, but you get to this one, and this is the seventh. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Here is Jesus. He stands back, and he says, guess what, guys? I want you to know that I actually have the code. <clears throat> it's just trust in me. In my power and my authority, do all things. And he stands there, and he uses the code to get Lazarus out. They're all going, wow, that's incredible. It's as if there's blinking lights at this point. should be going off in their head. By the way, do you notice that the raising of the dead is the seventh one? Hmm. What do you think when you were a Jew, if you were a Jew reading this, what is seven in the Jewish consciousness most most closely associated with? Seven days of creation, completion of creation, the completion of the new create of the old creation. There are seven signs pointing to seven days, and now this is the eighth day, the first day of the week, Monday. It's the eighth day, and eighth was always a sign in 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 Hebrew time of the first day of the week. So he says there's seven days, seven signs. There's a new, there's an old creation. They're thinking this. Their light bulbs are starting to go off in their mind, and now the eighth one is the resurrection of Jesus. And John is being really sneaky here. He's saying, there's an eighth sign. And he's intentionally putting it this way. That if seven refers to the first creation, Jesus breaks in on the first day of the week with a new creation. All things have passed, all things have become new in Jesus. What day did the resurrection occur? Not Saturday, Sunday. The first day. And this is significant because he's telling us the resurrection of Jesus is the first day of new creation. And and catch this. After seeing the angels, who did Mary see? Who, Who did she see? Come on, it's not a trick question. Saw a gardener. See, in the actual Greek, it's wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You are seeing this one standing before Mary, a gardener in the garden of death in which he has been risen on the eighth day, which is the first day of all creation. It's another one of those significant moments where she also realizes, Jesus, 
You're the new Adam. You're the one who's placed everything. John is doing something tremendous here. He's saying, guess what? In Jesus, there is newness of life. Now, in this life right now, it broke in 2,000 years ago. God is available for you. He can meet your need. He is present for you. Whatever you might hear in your heart right now from God, just ask him. Say, God, I want something new. The code is faith and trust. The Spirit of God can speak to you. If you want forgiveness of your sins and you want to know that all guilt has been removed and you know and want to know that you can live forever with them, right now, just trust and say, the code is trust. It's trust in Jesus. If you're in a place of waiting, you're saying, God, I know that you have something out there. I just need you. Give me a word. What do you want to say? And just trust and listen. I just, I love this, how John makes it so clear that he sees the new Adam who has begun a new creation where he is presenting to people everywhere that this new Adam has begun a new age of God's kingdom and you can enter into it today. Think about it. This is what Easter is all about. God can take broken first creation, the old broken created order, and, and do something new because nothing is too difficult for God. He can take your brokenness and not merely mend it, but renew your life with power and love. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. There's a verse of scripture that is a great verse on this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God who has reconciled himself to us through Christ. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head for a moment. The day Jesus rose from the dead, a huge shift took place. I just want you to listen to this as I just kind of pray this out and then we're going to just close. These significant stories that we've been listening to tell us that just as water is transformed to wine, so also your life can be transformed. Healing can happen some 30 miles away. No distance is too far for God to work. Restoration can occur some 38 years later. No length of time puts you out of God's reach. The hunger are fed. No amount of need is too great for God to meet. Violent, mountainous waves are walked upon to bring peace. No fear is too great for Jesus. A man born blind can see and navigate through life, and Jesus can lead you through life no matter how blind you think you are. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Hope can overcome despair. And finally, a person dead for three days is resurrected through his own authority and power. He conquers death for no will is stronger than the will of God and the Savior Jesus Christ. Nothing is too difficult for Jesus. No tragedy, he transforms it. No storm, he stills it. No disease, he heals it. No lack, he supplies it. No fear, he silences it. No debt, he pays it. No prison, he breaks it. No sin, he forgives it. Not even death itself. It's just sleep. He overcomes it with life. Nothing can stand against the mighty power and love 